motherhood, and work. There isn't a right way or best way to juggle these, despite what you've heard or been told. No, really, there's not. Part-time work has been the best fit for me and my family, but it's tough to navigate any gray area of motherhood when you don't fit neatly in a box. My name is Tiana Fesh, and welcome to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast, where we are going to build conversation and community around swinging motherhood and work in a way that works best for us and our families. No matter your path, it's an adventure with highs, lows, and in-betweens. Let's explore together. Before diving into this episode, I wanted to share an update with you. There are seasons, stages, and times of change in our motherhood journey, and this is the case with my podcast as well. With many mixed emotions, the final episode of the Part-Time Jungle podcast will be released at the end of June 2022, and I will be launching a new podcast called the People Teaching People podcast in the fall. This journey has been amazing. I have had the opportunity to connect with so many incredible people, to hear their stories, to be inspired, and to learn so much. I have also had such wonderful feedback from our community of listeners about the guests, episodes, and conversations that have really resonated with them. I wasn't quite sure what to expect when I started this podcast back in February of 2020, but it has truly filled my soul and warmed my heart. However, it is time for a change. My background is in education, and I am truly passionate about all things teaching and learning. My new podcast will be a place to talk about the who, what, when, where, why, and how of teaching and learning in a world where there is always more to discover. Education truly plays an important and integral role in all facets of our lives, how we work, do business, live, play, explore, and build relationships. Thank you for joining me in the part-time jungle, and I hope to have you join me on the road and adventure ahead on the People Teaching People podcast. Welcome to the Part-Time Jungle podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm excited to be here with our guest today, Dr. Danielle Gordon. Danielle is an optometrist and the owner of Spear Optometry, a full-scope, purpose-driven optometric practice and optical shop in Calgary, Alberta. Sphere is all about kindness and connection, ocular and holistic wellness, and giving back to their local and global community. Also, the team at Sphere harbors a deep love for independent handcrafted eyewear and delivering intuitive and compassionate care. Sphere is also the home of the Fit to Read project, a project that Danielle launched to connect books with kids in need. Danielle graduated from the University of Waterloo with a Bachelor of Science and Doctor of Optometry degree, both with honors. Since then, she has been passionate about helping her patients to live fully and joyfully and create positive impact in the world around her. Outside of work, Danielle loves to spend time with her husband and two young children, get her heart rate up with a good run and relax with a good book and a hot cup of coffee. 
Thank you so much for joining me, Danielle. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I am so excited too. And I would love to learn more about you and your story. What has been your journey in motherhood and work that has brought you to where you are and what you're doing today? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess it's a bit of a circuitous route. I'm from Ontario originally, both my husband and I are, and he's an optometrist as well. And so right after graduation, we had a big choice to make. We could have either, you know, stayed in our home province of Ontario or taken a bit of a risk and gone out West. And just as a bit of background, at the time that we graduated in Alberta, we could do a lot more as optometrists. Our scope was much broader. We could practice just about to our full abilities. And so we decided to take that leap of faith and go on what was then a five-year plan. And we moved out west with on financial fumes and did the whole thing. And, and you know, a few years after that, we got married and we moved to Calgary soon after. And, and that was a great move for us. It indeed truly felt like home, but it was a bit of, trying to piece our lives together like a puzzle, you know, okay, we found our home city, great. Where do we practice? Where does family fall into this? And so along the way, I worked at a few different practices. We had two kids, they're now nine and seven, a little girl first, a little boy second. And then just about almost three years ago now is when I launched Sphere, um, which is a cold start practice in Southeast Calgary. Now, had you told me that I would have started the practice after having two kids when life is the busiest. When I graduated all those years ago, I would have said, that sounds crazy. Tell her not to do that. But it's actually ended up being a really great decision. And, you know, obviously figuring out marriage, kids, work is always a juggle. But it's probably the most fun I've had work-wise. So I think it was a good choice, despite all the stress. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine. That is definitely a big undertaking when you're right in the thick of having little children and and all the juggle that goes along with that. But I'm so glad that things have worked out really well. Now, did you and your husband meet at school? Yeah, we did. I mean, nerd alert, we met before autonomy school, actually. Okay. We were lab partners. We were set up as lab partners in undergrad and we're good friends for a number of years. And then you know, as things go, sometimes feelings change. All of a sudden we're dating and we both got into autonomy school together didn't kill each other through optometry school and and just life kind of began that way but yes we did and meet over a Bunsen burner oh I love it (laughs) I love that you were lab partners that's so amazing (laughs) that's so ridiculous it's a good place to meet people though (laughs) absolutely and you have to work together you have to collaborate problem solve right so that is definitely a good place to meet (laughs) now as a mom and optometrist I'm curious then with yourself and your husband and your kids and your work, what are some strategies, resources, or tools that help you manage all the things that you're juggling? Okay, so full disclosure, this is definitely a work in progress. I think I would be lying if I said I have a system that's fail, you know, proof. Uh, That's not entirely it. But I think what I'm really trying to work towards is the idea of balance. And balance can look different in different seasons. So, I mean, yeah, if you back it up a couple of years ago when Sphere was just launching, and I'm still in a very big learning curve with respect to business ownership, that's something you don't really get trained to do in optometry school. There's maybe one course where you try to go through everything from contracts to 
how to look at a profit and loss statement. It's not really very extensive. So I'm still on that learning curve. But back three years ago, when we're going through the build and hiring your first employee, I would say the balance was definitely shifted more towards work. Now that our kids are a bit more independent, that's also led to a bit of a shift too. But I think really it, just trying to figure out how to allot time and make space for everything. Like a lot of your listeners probably too, I'm also kind of entering into the sandwich generation where I'm starting to be a caretaker for my mom. And that's a whole other added challenge when you kind of start to parent your parents. So that's really new and challenging. And so I'm trying to build in that margin. So I have room to breathe. And that's a new skill for me. I love to have my plate stacked full with all the things and I get really excited, kind of like I think you do too, with all the the pots you have your hands in and opportunities come and you get excited and sometimes get overbooked. But now I'm trying to learn how to schedule rest. How do I schedule blank space? So check in with me in a year and see how I'm doing there. But in terms of tools, I love a good day timer. I'm old fashioned. I love paper and pen. And so I have my little color coding system. Certainly having a partner and a spouse is really helpful for the single parents out there. That's a whole other animal. So I don't know how I could do it without him. It'd look a lot different if I did. And then also I think just being realistic about what that balance looks like. Sometimes things have to get dropped or sometimes things have to be reconfigured and that's okay. Yes. The juggle is real and you're right. It's there's certain seasons where some parts or pieces take on more of a life than others or unexpected things happen sometimes as well that can add a little element of craziness to the juggles that we have. I'm also with you. I love like the hard copy paper planner. I like to write things down. I've had to shift a little bit because we have a paper calendar at home and my husband was having to take pictures of it so he would know what was happening in our world, like with the kids (laughs) and activities and things. So now I've sort of, I'm a little bit more digital, but I still need to write it down. I find it just helps me to be able to see everything on, on a piece of paper or on one big piece of paper or on a, on a paper planner. So I'm with you on that for sure. There's something to like crossing something off, like the physical (gasps) act of like stroking it out feels so good. I don't know. It is it's so satisfying. To that on a computer. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Deleting it versus that, yeah, crossing it out. I love crossing things out. It feels very good. <laughs> Likewise. Now, I have this little app that I use. We kind of use it at work to give each other tasks. It's called Asana. And I think they've tried to make it exciting to click a task. I have like a flying unicorn that like stre- streaks across the screen. And it's not bad. But it still doesn't come close to, to pen and paper. <laughs> yeah, the flying unicorn. I, yeah, that is pretty cute. But I, there just is something about the simple act of crossing it off with a pen. I'm with you. I'm with you. That is so funny, <laughs> yeah. though. Now, as the owner of Sphere Optometry, I'm sure in that uh, regard as well, you wear many hats, including taking on a leadership role in the work that you do with your team. And one of the things that you had shared with me is that you like the idea of alternative leaders when it comes to leadership. So what does it mean to you to be an alternative leader? Well, I think it's a conversation I start to think a little bit about, certainly as I was embarking on on the entrepreneurial journey, but also I think having gone through, so we opened up May 2019. And so we didn't quite get in the full fiscal year before the pandemic hit. And so I think people have had time to really think about their work environment. I think that's sort of where this great resignation is coming from, is just people have had time to consider 
A, what's important to them? B, what does our work environment look like? If they're a leader, does it have to look the same as it was before? And I think, you know, there's traditionally been a very sort of stereotypical image of a traditional leader. You know, usually it's someone who occupies a male body or persona. They're usually very alpha, gregarious, extroverted, loud, maybe domineering a little bit, or potentially evangelical in their leadership. And that's not everybody, but that's very few people. And that doesn't necessarily guarantee that it's a good leader. And even though I'm still on my journey to trying to be the best leader I can be, starting Sphere gave me reason to contemplate, well, maybe some of, you know, my traits are a bit alternative could be helpful. Like I find that I'm generally fairly introverted. I get a lot of energy by being by myself, much as I do like being with people too. You know, I'm kind of curious, I'm imaginative, a little quirky. And I always sort of thought, well, geez, maybe that doesn't necessarily make me the kind of leader people are looking for. Perhaps they want that loud, brash, you know, stand up on a pulpit type of leader. But, you know, I'm finding that's not necessarily the case. You can, with the skills you have, develop those into being a leader that that people find value in. And I would encourage, you know, those of your listeners who are are contemplating branching out on their own or leading a team or even just doing something independently, that perhaps their skill set that makes them unique is exactly what is needed. You know, it's exactly the voice that people could want to hear um, and gain inspiration from, perhaps. I know for me, there's people that I look up to who have alternative skills, and I found that to be um, really motivating. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting as I'm listening to you speak, uh, one of the student teachers that I worked with last school year talked about in terms of building relationships with the students in her classroom, as well as the teachers of this at the school, she really realized that there was something to being authentically herself. And even though she wasn't that extroverted personality and super bubbly and outgoing, that was okay. Like she felt that she could be more introverted and more quiet and and kind of take on, you know, that leadership role, but being true to who she was. And she found in Mm. being authentic, that helped her to make some really meaningful connections with the students in her class. And, And she actually had some interesting conversations with them. And they were kindergarten students, but they really resonated mm. with that. She she read them a storybook about, you know, people who are more quiet or sometimes worry about things sometimes. And it really led to an interesting, beautiful conversation with the kids and some great connections with them too. So I think, yeah. Well, being she kind of had different ways of also like, sometimes kids aren't seen for who they really are. And it takes some special teachers to see, you know, maybe there's some insecurities behind the class clown. Or maybe the quiet kid isn't necessarily a pushover. They've got a really strong point of view that just hasn't come out yet. And I feel like those teachers who really see their students for who they are, no matter what that looks like, you know, in terms of the teacher's delivery of material, that can be so impactful. Like I remember there's a couple of teachers who I really thought got me. Oh my goodness. They made the biggest difference. Like I have not forgotten those educators in my life for sure. Yeah, it is. It's so much about relationships and really getting to know your students and their stories and who they are. And yeah, I think being able to build those connections, be it in a school environment or in a work environment is incredibly powerful. So I love that approach to the work that you do with your team. Now I had a look on your website, which I found really interesting. And it says that sphere optometry has a fresh perspective on vision and wellness in Calgary. 
And I would love for you to share what makes Sphere unique in terms of work culture and the design of your space and why that's so important to you and your team. Sure, I think I definitely speak to that. I think in imagining Sphere before it was actually a physical space, I thought it'd be really compelling to have a healthcare clinic that didn't feel so clinical. You know, thought I'm not a designer by any stretch of the imagination, so I'm probably using the wrong lingo, but I feel like there's thought around how the design of the space can influence behavior in the space and how that can influence how people feel and the interactions and that happen in that space. And so when we were thinking about the design of sphere, it was, well, how can we make it feel really comfortable? People do get quite anxious around their healthcare experiences. And it's important for me to remember that. I mean, I do this day in and day out. I deliver similar kinds of news over and over again. But to somebody sitting in my chair, that's the first time they're hearing it. I'm always really cognizant to remember that. And so similarly, I might walk into my workspace every day, but someone's kind of walking in there for the first time. And I would like them to feel like they're coming into a home, but they're welcomed into our space. And so with our design, I was really trying to create a space that felt a little bit like a Scandinavian living room, just sort of cozy, comfortable, I would lose time dreaming about what our space would smell like and what the music would be like and what kind of vibe it would be and what kind of typeface we'd use on our materials to try to convey what we're trying to convey. And I think for some of our patients who are sensitive to that stuff, that's really helped them to feel uh, more comfortable coming in for their eye care. And I would like it to be a place they feel like they could also have fun. The other thing about healthcare too is it can feel a little transactional. You come here and you sit there and I tell you news and then you leave and you do this. And, you know, there's so much more room for fun and for whimsy and for connection. And kind of like we're talking about your role as an educator, like trying to figure out during that space of time you have with a student, what they're really all about, what makes them tick, what's important to them. It's the same way that all members of our team try to figure that out about our patients, you know, the way I communicate with someone who's an engineering type is very different than someone who might be a little bit more of artistic sort of mindset. The things that appeal to them are very different. How can I speak to that, have them already feel comfortable by the time they enter my space and create those warm connections? So that's definitely part of the design. With our team, we're really trying to, I guess, we're lucky to have a team that has a lot of diversity of thought, you know, a background of experience. And so we're trying to create a team where we are able to be really radically honest with each other, create a true idea meritocracy where the best ideas come out, where we can all share and take ownership. And like, yes, I may have more financial skin in the game, but it's nice for us to think that Sphere is all of our baby to take care of and to raise. And so now we have this little this little toddler business um, that we're all trying to take care of. And, and now it's about, well, how do we have best practices around being a really cohesive team that's focused on growing and building and creating positive impact around us. I think that's wonderful because you're so you're so right. There's so much more to everything that happens and, and goes on when people are accessing healthcare more than you might think, right? There are those feelings and those anxieties and helping people to feel comfortable when they walk in and having everybody on your team on board with that is, is so fantastic. I get a little bit anxious when I go to the eye doctor with the air puff mm. test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, one likes that it, one. no. <laughs> 
even yeah, though- an alternative way of doing it oh, specifically okay. for that reason. But yeah, people do. They get, I've, we've had tears. I've had people faint from oh, anxiety goodness. over yeah. certain procedures. So I feel you on that. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. I'm okay. But you're. But I know even <laughs> our. This is aside from um, eye care. But our youngest with any sort of blood work or needles, he gets really. He he's okay, but he gets dizzy. Like he gets lightheaded because he kind of gets mm. worked up and nervous and tense and. I think it can go such a long way to have those people, you know, intentionally trying to establish those connections and make people comfortable. But I love all the thought that went into your space and the environment and making it be that, that welcoming place for people as well. It sounds absolutely beautiful. Uh, thanks. We really do enjoy coming into work. I mean, it's, it's been a crazy couple of years for everybody, <laughs> you know, and our whole team, there's not one person on our team who didn't leave a situation or take a leap of faith to join a practice that's starting up cold. Like it's a very unique situation. We, I hired one optician to start with me. So just the two of us for the first little while. And, you know, she's a mom. She's got a kid at home. She left where she was working to join this startup. Like that is a huge leap of faith. I have people leaving places they worked at for 15 years, people who move cities to come to Calgary and then hopefully work with us. And so we're all just kind of taking a chance and try to make a space our own, which is kind of cool. That is very cool. Very cool. And look at all the growth and, and progress and things that you've done in such a short amount of time and through such an interesting time in our, in our world. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't on my list of, you know, I think in the beginning of Bethany, who was the first employee with, with me and who joined our team and she's our, our lead optician. Um, we sat down together at the very beginning and we wanted to do an exercise where we could write out what we dreamt of for sphere. And it was one of those moments where, you know, what she wrote in her summary was what I had dreamed of too. And so I knew we were really well aligned. And then we said, well, let's go through a little SWOT analysis, like, you know, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, and nowhere on that list was a global pandemic. Like that just, you know, all the typical things, you know, what if revenues are bad or, we don't get the word out very well or marketing. And then this pandemic happened and we said, well, we're all just trying to figure it out. No one has a blueprint for this. So. Oh my goodness. Let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. I did. I did not see that one coming. I, I laugh with a friend of mine. She and I were having coffee together and I was telling her, my husband's heard about this, you know, possible pandemic situation. And last night he went to superstore and like stocked up on canned goods and food and all, not oh toilet paper, but like a variety of other things. <laughs> and I was literally laughing at him with my friend. And then the world shut down. <laughs> yeah, it's it, so true. I did not see it, see it coming, but apparently he had a hunch that something was coming soon. So there you go. He knew something yeah. we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We still have canned peaches that we haven't eaten. So there you go. You're ready. <laughs> we're ready in case it happens again. Hopefully we're on the, we're heading out of this. I'm hopeful. I'm so hopeful. Now, also when I was snooping around on your website, I noticed there's an opportunity to take a dry eye quiz, which I did. And you shared nice. that this is something that you treat quite often with your patients at Spear. So what is dry eye disease and what are some things we can do or treatments that we can access to help with this? Yeah. So, I mean, dry eye disease is one of those conditions that's multifactorial. I mean, there's a lot that, that contributes to it and goes into it from aspects of our general health. You know, do we have autoimmune issues, hormonal issues, whatever, to our environment? Calgary, certainly not the most humid of places. So we do see a lot of dry eye here. The amount of time we spend on the computer factors in. And in terms of the 
disease itself, there's multiple components that contribute too. Is your tear film not composed properly? Are there issues with your tear film homeostasis? Are the glands that produce oils for your tears to keep them nice and lubricated functioning properly and producing the right consistency of oils? So there's a lot that goes into our dry eye workup to try to really identify, okay, where are the root causes? What sort of prongs of the decision tree do we have to kind of address first? Um, but usually by and large, there's a few things that we start off recommending. I mean, at the, at the foundation of dry eye disease is inflammation. So usually there'll be something that we're doing to help to address that. Typically, it's an anti-inflammatory eye drop, but also standard fairly recommend is, you know, a really good quality artificial tear, non-preserved with good quality professional grade ingredients. We're almost always talking about nutrition. And, and truthfully, food is our first medicine. So much stems from how we feed ourselves and how we take care of our bodies and the inflammatory load in our bodies itself. But more specifically, we're always talking about omega-3s, ones that are, again, professional grade, have the right components of triglycerides in them. And there's also newer and novel treatments too. We can use blood-derived therapies like PRP, which we hear about in hair restoration, in skincare, in, in joint preservation, but also it's used as an eye drop to help to maintain the corneal surface. In our clinic, we use radiofrequency. It's sort of a treatment that's been derived, I guess, from the world of dermatology, but it's that deep heat with the radiofrequency we use and the ultrasound we use that really helps to target some of the glands along our lids and lash line that are involved in producing good quality tears. So really depending on what we see with your full picture, there are so many tools we have in our tool belt that can be used to help. I think the problem is a lot of people don't think dry eye disease is an issue, especially here in Alberta. They think, well, every second person I know has a dry eye problem. Is this not the way my eyes should feel? Burning and uncomfortable and red at the end of the day? No, there is a better way. Your optometrist can help you with this. We have so many tools to really move a needle on your dry eye. That is a good message because I would agree here in Calgary, it is so dry. My skin is always dry. You know, mm-hmm. people talk about having dry eyes all the time, dry everything, right? We're in such a dry climate here. So that's really good to know and helpful to know. And I found the quiz very interesting. So I'd encourage other people to check that out too, because it might be something that you would want to look into a little bit more. I think so. I mean, that quiz goes through some of the more common symptoms and kind of tries to drill down into how often you experience those things. And there are certain numbers above which we get concerned about the severity of dry eye disease. But especially given your particular audience, you know, you're kind of speaking to moms, we deal with a lot of risk factors just on our own from our stress levels. Are we sleeping well and consistently? Hormonally, there are so many issues there. Are you postpartum? Everything is dry postpartum. You're effectively in like a pseudo- menopause, if you will. I remember my eyes were crazy dry after I had my kids um, throughout life. Those were hitting menopause or in that phase, there can be dry issues. Thyroid medications can cause it. And I think for a lot of moms who are in the juggle, I see a number of patients who are on kind of mood stabilizers, anti-anxiety medications, and those, you know, yes, they're absolutely necessary and continue to take them if they're helpful, but know that one of the side effects, again, could be dry eyes. So Again, so many things to consider that can really lead you down that pathway. That is very interesting. Yes, I didn't think about all those different factors that could affect my eyes. So for sure, something that people should be paying attention to and looking into more and thinking about in terms of 
themselves and how they're doing, especially in the juggle, (laughs) when it can be hard to be thinking about ourselves. Completely. Oh, man. Now, both my husband and I have contacts and glasses. I started wearing glasses in grade two and my husband in grade four. And our younger kiddo has contacts and glasses as well. Somehow our, our oldest and middle have avoided getting glasses. We don't know what happened there. So I'm curious what you think is most important for parents to think about or pay attention to it when it comes to their kids' eyes. And also second question, what should they look for when choosing an optometrist for their family? So, you know, I think here in Alberta specifically, I guess we're talking more broadly, know, you know, the appropriate ages to bring your kids in for their first checkup. We recommend six months of age for their first eye exam because it's during those first six months, there's a lot of development in that time. You know, you might remember when your kids are newborns, their eyes are kind of a little wonky. Eventually they start to figure that out. And by six months of age, if there are any consistent eye turns or issues like that, we're wanting to start to address them. And really though, outside of that, that first exam is just to really look for any gross abnormalities. Are you seeing issues with your child hitting their milestones? Are they recognizing faces? Are they grabbing things accurately? All of those things are important when they're little, but as they get older, heading into school age, we're watching for squinting, we're watching for where they're holding their work material. And if you're checking your child along the way, if anything is changing quickly, you know, where there's a lot of conversation around nearsightedness these days, then we can kind of intervene early. What's really exciting is there's so many options for nearsightedness control as well. Globally, we're seeing nearsightedness or myopia um, epidemic, and there's different theories about why that is. But the key is if you can catch it early and implement some of these strategies, the endpoint uh, when finally the development is over can be less significantly than what it would have been had it been left unchecked. If we're talking about your Alberta listeners, for kids, their eye exams, partial exams, anything medically necessary, all of that's covered by healthcare. So it's really important to know as parents that you do have access. You're not bothering us. We are here to be bothered. If you have concerns about your kids, bring them to us. Let's go through it. Let's follow up. It's all covered. You may as well as we're here for. And then I think beyond that, in terms of what to look for an optometrist, I think in in Canada in general, Alberta specifically, we have a really great community of optometrists. You know, we all have to hit a certain level of education. We have continuing education requirements. I find Albertan optometrists in particular very forward-thinking. We're early adopters of technology. And so from an education, technology, clinical perspective, we're on a very similar playing field, I'd argue. But then it comes down to sort of the intangibles. Can you communicate with a practitioner who you align with? Do you feel in line with their philosophy? Do they communicate in a way that makes sense to you? Are they showing understanding of your situation? That communication piece is really key. You know, not everybody is for everybody. And so if it's not really a good fit, that's okay. Find someone who gels with your family. And then that way they can kind of create that continuity of care. Yeah. Kiddos. Yeah. It makes such a, a difference when you and your children feel comfortable and connected with the people that are taking care of, of your health and well-being for sure. Now, I know um, that books are a big part of your world. And as an educator and a mom, they're a huge part of my work life and family life too. You've created this beautiful initiative, the Fit to Read Project. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that's all about and why you created it and why it's so important to you. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think this might speak to some of your values too. I mean, I really do feel like education is such a tool. You know, it's one of those things that can be such a difference maker, such a separator. It's how we can create communities of critical thinkers where ideas come from. You know, it can really change the fabric of your community uh, in terms of level of education and the access to education. And where does that really all start is access to books. And even right here in our community, there are areas and families that are total reading wastelands. They just don't have access to materials. And that is such a shame. You know, I find that reading is such a great way to spark imagination. You can find yourself in books. I remember growing up and feeling such connection with some of the characters in the books I read that it really has become such a fun memory of mine in terms of my upbringing. Like Anne of Green Gables is the one that comes to mind. And I have fond memories of losing myself in books. I'd love for every kid to have that chance. And so even before Sphere was created, I wanted to start this project to find a way to connect books with kids. And so every year now at Sphere, now that project can live here at Sphere, we collect books to give to organizations like Calgary Reads, for example, that have as their sort of vision, creating a community of, of joyful, engaged readers. And so that's sort of where, where that comes from. I really do feel, and vision is a part of it too. You know, if you're not seeing well or if your eyes aren't coordinated properly, get yourself educated, become so much more of a, of a hill to climb. And so how do we remove those barriers along every level? And that was just sort of my way, my little corner of the world to try to do a little something that could maybe make a difference. It really truly just takes one book, one different idea, one way of changing your perspective that can make a huge difference with someone. I really love that initiative, of course, with my educator bias, perhaps, but I think it is <laughs> yeah. such a great way for kids to, as you said, get a different perspective, really get lost in a book and, and really have an opportunity to learn and to grow. And I wanted to ask you, have you ever been to Prince Edward Island to see? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I was maybe, it was beyond my, you know, the years I was devouring Anne of Green Gables, I was probably about 11 or 12 then. So I'd stop reading them as often. But I mean, that island is just so beautiful. Have you been yourself? Yeah, I went the summer <laughs> before grade eight and I saw Lucy Maud Montgomery's house and went and saw the Anne of Green Gables oh. show. And yeah, <laughs> I totally loved it. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. that's the thing. That's what's so fun about it. I remember you know, and they they had the the movies that came out around the same time with Megan Follows and that whole thing. And I would I would lose time pretending to be Anne and just losing time in the book itself. Is there any better feeling than being in the middle of a page turner? And how great would it be to give kids who haven't had an experience before a chance to to enjoy a book that way? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that initiative that you have. I think it's amazing. Oh, thanks so much. That means a lot to me. Now, you've shared a lot of the interesting things that you do um, in your work. And I'm curious if you could pick one or two of your favorite things about what you do as an optometrist. Yeah, I mean, I think, sure, this is where I think there's some similarities in what you do and what I do. My time span with a patient's a lot shorter than, than yours as a traditional educator if you're doing like a full year with the same group of students. But there is that opportunity to create a positive impact even though my time with the patient's really short, you know, how can you make that interaction, their experience here, a positive one in their day? And that has a true ripple effect going outward. We all know what it's like with the opposite, where you have a negative experience or 
I've, I've had healthcare experience where I felt embarrassed or shameful or not treated well. And that just has a ripple effect on your day. So how can we do the opposite? So there's that opportunity. I always have to have my thinking hat on. I love being challenged a little bit. And so, you know, trying to figure out, well, what's the best solution to their problem? What resonates with them? How can I anticipate what they need? Can I read into what they're saying? Is there a way I can offer value? And so I always find that to be a really fun challenge for me. It's probably my favorite part of, of what I do is just trying to figure out how do we really add, how do we really add concrete value and maybe also provide the unexpected. And this can be a tough question to answer, but when you look back at your journey so far, what would be a favorite highlight or win or something that you feel the most proud of? You know, there's a few things that I've done that I think looking back, when you play a bit against type. Like I always thought I was the kind of person who really liked security and predictability. And yet there's these little moments where I've consistently done things that really upset the balance and ended up being a really good decision at the end of the day, but it's never what I would have predicted for myself. I don't know where I thought I would end up, but it wasn't across the country from where I grew up. That was a big surprise, but I'm so glad I took that leap and moved to Alberta. You know, to be honest, same thing with my husband. We're very similar in terms of our mindset. And yet we couldn't be more surprised about the risks we've taken, you know, moving to Calgary when we didn't know anybody. For me, starting Sphere at that particular point in my life was not at all what I, if you told me I was going to do a cold start, which is also a whole different animal than taking over somebody else's practice, I would have said, that sounds crazy. That was never something, ownership, yes. Starting a cold practice, no. And so I feel like I'm most proud of those moments where I really stepped out of what I expected for myself. And those moments really come to mind. I think also truly motherhood surprised me. I love my kids. I love being a mom. There are days, of course, where the days are very long. <laughs> Frustrating. Uh, hello, homeschooling. <laughs> I did not miss my calling as an educator. So that was really clear to me <laughs> during that time. But also, I, I didn't spend a lot of time as a young kid dreaming about being a mom. I thought a lot about career you know, I didn't even think, really think a ton about marriage. I thought about career and maybe traveling and everything else just sort of, if it happens, that's great. But I couldn't be more tickled by, you know, how much fun I'm having being a mom, how I do truly feel like I can learn so much from my kids and their little friends and how they're experiencing the world and even how they're going through this pandemic. So that's been a really pleasant surprise for me. I think those are some fantastic highlights. <laughs> and I love how you've surprised yourself along the way. And I think it's, it's a wonderful journey that you've had. So thank you for sharing those. Now I have some rapid fire questions for you because yeah, I sure. love to pick people's brains and steal their great ideas so that I can use them. Sure. What is, what is one of your go-to meals on those super busy days? Literally stir fry or tacos. What can I throw into a pot? and call it something. <laughs> the family will like it. Luckily, my husband's not picky. My kids, eh, here and there. But tacos are an easy one. Always have taco shells handy. And they're a quick thing to whip up with whatever we have at home. So that's I love the it. answer there. Yeah, being, a being able to make things with what we have on hand, because there's always those moments when you're thinking, hmm, yeah, exactly. You can easily <laughs> pull things together to do tacos and stir fry. And they're good ones that your family can kind of make them what they want it to be right? They can take mm. certain things out or not include them if it's not their thing. Uh, what is one of your favorite family games or activities? 
Well, you know, the weather is nice. So we live really close to, this is very geographically specific, but we live really close to Fish Creek Park. So here in Calgary, it's a, I think it's a little gem. It's so extensive. You can really, if you're wanting to bike or jog, you can get a long way in the park. But with kids, especially now the R's are the age where they can bike more independently. We'll take them for bike rides every weekend in the summer. There's a Starbucks that we can go through the park and get to. And the kids just love it. It's a perfect distance for them. The river's there. We skip stones all the time. So those are my favorite kind of summertime memories of them. When it's colder, when we're kind of hunkering down inside, the odd board game we'll play, you know, Mexican trains or our daughter's getting into checkers and we're all going to learn chess as a family this year. So that should be fun. I've got a feeling I'm going to get schooled by my kids, but <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But yeah, and just movie night snuggles, all those little things where we get downtime where we're not so busy running here and there. All those are fun for us. That all sounds lovely. And we're very close to Fish Creek Park too. So mm. <laughs> yeah, we do spend a lot of time there. It takes us about five minutes to walk down. So <laughs> we must oh, live so in great. similar areas of the city. Yes, it's wonderful. It feels like we've left the city when we're down there. We just love it. That's exactly it. It yeah. feels like a little slice of somewhere else. And to be honest with you, these are one of the things I feel so grateful for to have access to in our city. During the pandemic, that was just a sanity saver for everybody let's just get out into the park kids you make a fort I'm going to turn on my podcast or whatever and decompress and so that was such such a blessing oh we we were down there almost every day <laughs> yeah especially <laughs> when, above into you. yeah I knew <laughs> maybe we were down there at the same time oh I'm sure we probably were and what is a book podcast or tv show that you've enjoyed recently that's a great question I love I do so much on audiobooks or on podcasts. So one of my challenges to sit still as a mom, I'm not great at it. I'm always busy. And so listening to things on audio has been super helpful. I really like how I built this. So anybody who's on an entrepreneurial journey might find value in that show. And what I really like about it is it doesn't skim over the hard parts of the entrepreneurial journey. It really does dive into the inception of the idea and how it came to be and all the problems and hiccups along the way. And I really do like the storytelling in that. Um, so that's kind of more of a businessy one. In terms of book, also love audiobooks. Probably the one that I read most recently that I think I'd like to reread again is called Never Split the Difference by Christopher Voss. And it's all about negotiation. And he was, I think, a former hostage negotiator or crisis negotiator. So he's dealing with high stakes, people's lives, ransoms, money. But to hear about the little techniques he uses was so fascinating. So I plan on reading that again because that was a really good book. I recommend it highly. Okay. I haven't read that one. So I'm going to add that one to my list for sure. Now, yes, if you do. I will. Thank you. And if you could sit down and have a conversation with any mom, who would it be and why? And that's a really tough one. You know, there's a lot of inspirational people in the motherhood space. I feel like for me, I'd be really interested in talking to Michelle Obama. I read her book, Becoming, and was really interested in the fact that she had, you know, very similar priorities to a lot of working women. You know, she was not short on ambition or intelligence. She also had an ambitious partner, which usually those kinds of people attract each other. I'm sure you and your husband might feel the same way. He probably always has things he's looking to do. And it's all about how do you create that balance? And she also had a deep commitment to wanting to be a really present mom and to create that kind of family life. And I'd love to chat with her about those growing years when she was at the same phase I am and 
you know, not that I'm in any way in the same league as her, but I really found the way she narrated her book coming or her voice in that book really relatable. So that would be someone I'd love to love to pick her brain. <laughs> Maybe one day. You never know. That would be amazing. That would be crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and thinking about the phrase, if I knew then what I know now, what would be one of the biggest takeaways or aha moments that you've had as a mom? You know, I think attention and really being present, I think is one of the things that I wish I'd sort of really tapped into. I think in the beginning, especially when I had my first daughter, I was trying to be everything and do everything. And it put a lot of pressure on myself. You know, I had, I literally had a spreadsheet of when she went to the washroom and how much did she drink? And I was filling out this thing. And I wish I just said, you know, what? all she really needs is my full attention. She just needs me to be myself. I'm fine exactly the way I am. I maybe have one type of cookie I can make well. And that is okay. You know, kids need your best version of yourself. And I, and they need your full attention at times. And it doesn't even have to be for the whole day. I learned from one of my friends who's also in the early child education space that really kids need just like little short bursts of your attention. And that gives them the fuel they need to kind of carry on. So I wish I'd sort of tapped into that a little bit earlier. The other thing that I have really been intentional about since the beginning was, and I think it was Toni Morrison who said this, but she talked about the way parents' eyes should ideally light up when their child walks in the room, no matter if they're dirty or scuffed up or whatever, just if your face shows that joy to see them there, that gives them such a feeling of ownership of their place in the world. And so I really try to do that for our kids. The other thing I wish I'd known, kind of harkening back to the first point I made was, you know, I think a lot of us growing up think that we're going to hit a certain point in life where we just have it all figured out and all this sort of all makes sense. And The older I get, the more I realize that is elusive. That is a dangling carrot. And I wish, you know, in some ways, perhaps I'd adopted a true deep understanding of that earlier that would have taken a lot of pressure off, I think, the situation, perhaps. Yeah. Hindsight is so 2020, isn't it? (laughs) Did you feel the same way about your motherhood journey in terms of my gosh. Yeah, so much so. I I definitely wish I would have been able to relax more with our first. (laughs) I think mm. that's pretty typical. By the time number three came along, I was I was more relaxed with things and more in the moment for sure. And uh, yeah, I definitely feel like I wish I wouldn't have been so worried about figuring out what I wanted to do and how I wanted it to look and been more okay with just the journey of trying different things and just thinking about more what I uh, learned from the experience and how it sort of gave me clarity on what I didn't want to do and what I wanted to do. And I'm now 43 and I still don't have it all figured out, but I feel more okay with it now, but it took a while to get here. It does, doesn't it? I wonder, you know, I think about even the way we were raised in our parents' generation, and they had their own pressures, of course, but I don't think there was this kind of craziness around trying to get it perfect. You know, this perfection chasing, I think, is kind of maybe a bit more unique to our generation of mothers, and it's not entirely helpful. Um, I just remember even my mom just being like, well, go outside and play and come back at dinner, whatever. Like, I need to be there. helicoptering over you all the time and, and that's just we're, we're kind of free range you know do whatever kind of um in terms of our upbringing and I wonder if if our generations have been hard on ourselves yeah I think I I think so I think so a little bit and I'm definitely trying to be a little bit more like free range <laughs> and I feel <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've gotten more comfortable definitely with our third child as I said and 
it's funny now when, you know, he kind of has time playing with some kids where I don't know the families as well. I really, cause we have families, our kids have kind of grown up with. So we're in a very similar yeah. space and we kind of know like how far our kids can go and they have a certain amount of freedom and that type of thing. But with a family, when you're just getting to know them, I have to remember to say, are you comfortable with the two of them walking home from school together? Yeah. Are you comfortable? <laughs> yeah. I found with our youngest, he, uh, yeah, he definitely has a longer leash, I guess. Like he has more freedom and we're more definitely more relaxed with him. So, but it took time. It took time, but I know what you're saying. My mom and dad, it was like, go play. And then we'll see you when it's time to eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot more really. of that for sure. And <laughs> before we wrap things up, I'm just wondering if you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom for moms who are listening, who might be looking for some inspiration or support with their own mom work juggles. You know, again, I just really want to make sure people know that I'm still on this journey myself and trying to figure out the balance. But I find what's been helpful to calm me down. I'm worried about how I'm juggling everything. And if I'm doing what's right for myself and for my family and those people that I care about is just asking myself, am I doing the best of what I have? Am I doing the best I can in this moment? And really trying to practice being fully present in whatever I'm doing. Because if you're in this work jungle, you're wearing a lot of hats. And sometimes you're in the work hat. Can you get yourself to focus on that and not worry about feeling any which way about the kids? When you're with the kids, can you truly compartmentalize and put aside work and really enjoy them for what they're bringing? They grow up, I mean, everybody says this, but they grow up so fast. Our daughter just turned nine and had her birthday party. And because of the pandemic, I haven't really seen her interact with her friends at all. I've never really seen them all together. And so to see this little group of nine-year-old girls and their personalities and to look at what I thought was my baby, almost looking like a preteen you know, with all her little girlfriends, it just floored me in terms of how fast time goes by. So really savor those moments. Enjoy getting to know your kids. Be your full self. Show them you can be comfortable with who you are and, and just make them feel special and seem like they've got a little place in this world. And that's sort of my goal going forward. I love that. I think that is a fantastic goal. And Danielle, I want to thank you so much for sharing your time and words of wisdom with us today. If our listeners thank you want for to having me, I enjoyed it. Thank you. And if our listeners want to learn more about you and the work that you're doing, where are the best places to find you? Yeah, so we are active on social. Instagram is probably the best place to interact quickly with us. We are at Sphere YYC, so S-P-H-E-R-E-Y-Y-C. You can also find us uh, in terms of our website at www.sphereoptometry.ca and we can be reached through there as well. Thank you so much for joining me, Danielle. It was wonderful to chat with you and connect with you today. Thank you so much, Tiana. Great to join you on your podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Fesh. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Part-Time Jungle and on my website, www.theparttimejungle.com. I would love if you would subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Your feedback and support are so appreciated. See you next time where we will continue to explore the motherhood jungle together.